This is Michael Perry, production designer of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Michael Perry, production designer of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I just uh, finished watching it last night um, by myself with all the all the shades drawn, windows open. I'm like, I don't know if this is the best time to be watching <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it was so much fun. It was awesome. I think clearly fans of Texas Chainsaw, I think are really going to enjoy this. Um, there's so many Easter eggs and so many nods to the original, and it's just a fun horror movie. But I think just horror fans in general are really going to going to enjoy this and are enjoying it, uh, you know, as you see online. So, you know, well, congratulations on Thank such a success. Um, there's a ton to talk about, and we're going to get to it all. But before we get there, I just want to very quickly mention our sponsor today, Filmmakers Academy. Master your craft at Filmmakers Academy. Visit gocreativeshow.com forward slash Filmmakers Academy and get 10% off with promo code GOCREATIVE10. Of course, I also want you to follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, first thing I want to talk about is blood. Sure. Blood, of okay. which there are, there's gallons and gallons and gallons of it in this film. Um, and I think that, you know, I, 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 there's, there's kind of sort of a, a unique set of circumstances that need to happen to be filming with blood. And I think a lot of our audience, myself included, haven't really had that opportunity, especially at these quantities. Um, I'd love to hear from your perspective as a production designer, what are the challenges of shooting with blood and so much of it. And first of all, how much of that was actually there and how much was CGI? That's what the that's what the internet wants to know. There the um anytime you see a plunging of the the chainsaw into a person, there are there are blood blood bags there. Mm. And then CGI will clean it up. But otherwise the the sort of <clears throat> The whole brief was to do this practically as practical as possible. Mm. So, yeah, we like in the bus scene, we went through 200 gallons of blood. We had blood misters. We had blood cannons. Um, and from a technical standpoint, of course, the hardest thing it to it, with blood, if you have to come, you know, go back to the original setup, is cleaning up of the blood. Yeah. So we have different types of blood. So if there's a scene where there's blood and then we're gonna reset and shoot it again, it has some sort of dish soap in it so that we can clean it up quicker. And there, there are a lot of different formulas and they're all kept secret um, by the blood masters. Um, <laughs> so I don't really even know what go all goes into it, but- Oh, you don't even know. You don't even have the secret recipe. No, no. I know that there's some sort of soap product in the stuff we have to get up. Uh, and there's some blood that's more clingy. There's more types of blood that drip faster. It's a whole, you know, it's a special effects specialty. Yeah. And they, uh, they really get into it. 
I can't imagine. Like, just, I'm thinking about it with all of those scenes and blood squirting everywhere. I'm thinking to myself, like, do they have to completely up, like, change their schedule, like the shooting schedule to accommodate for all these takes? I mean, when you have that much blood going all, all over the place and you have a schedule to maintain, I mean, you really can't have a director that wants to do 8 million takes. It just, it doesn't work. No, no. Although I will say... Um, Fetty Alvarez, who was one of the producers and was in L.A. So he'd see our dailies. And there are times where he said, yeah, you've got to reshoot that. And it needs a lot more blood. So, And a producer saying that to reshoot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, because, you know, we knew going into this that this was going to be, you know, to some people, Texas Chainsaw, the original, is... I don't know what the Bible yeah. for of her. Um, so, <clears throat> and right off the bat, we decided we weren't going to be like the sequels. It wasn't going to be all that family, you know, all the confusing stuff that's been added to all the sequels. It wasn't going to be in a house in the middle of nowhere. We had to change it up. And we sort of um, pledged ourselves to... Texas, Chainsaw, and a Massacre. Yeah. And I think we delivered all of that. You certainly did. I mean, there were quite a few not— and, and for people that don't know, I mean, this is this is purely like a sequel to the original. You, you, like you said, right. you in the way that Halloween, when they did their reboot a few years back, sort of disregarded everything uh, right. and just did a sequel of the original. Um, and when you're doing something like that, do you feel a sense of responsibility to the original, just knowing that— like I think, I think horror fan, horror movie genre and superhero movie genre. It seems like you both suffer the same fate in that your audiences are rabid, which is great, you know, because you know right. they're going to come out. But it's also a little scary because they have really they high you. standards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, how they find your email? <laughs> exactly. So, like, how do you feel when you're going into a project like this that's you know legendary in the in its franchise, um, and that you're going to have so many eyes looking at it critically? Well, I knew I knew that I I, I was accepting of that <clears throat> because I also know once you finish a project of film and it's out there, it's like putting a painting, you know, in a museum. It's no longer yours. Mm. Doesn't really matter what your intent is, you know. And uh, I've had it work both ways. I've had movies that were. Um, <clears throat> both critical and audience success. And I've had ones that like just no one went to. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's so it's usually that kind of a thing. We, <clears throat> we, I'm just getting a little bit of water here. Yeah, uh, I definitely I, I, take us, take a sip. You might as well. I think I'm going to do the same. But what were you saying? Like, yeah, I mean, you you said you you knew going in, you're going to accept it. This is what it's going to be. I know that right. once I put it out there, it's no longer mine. Continue down that path. Well, I think that with this <clears throat> this movie, uh, especially, we knew all the all the fandom. I mean, so many people consider it like the best horror movie. I don't really necessarily do. I don't have that kind of reverence for it. 
it's a good, good ass scary movie. But over the years, as a uh, a scenic painter during when we were doing lots of rock videos, I actually worked with Hooper and Daniel Pearl. Hmm. Yeah, they weren't that impressive. <laughs> Um, it was the eighties, you know, uh, they, they had their problems. Um, so that was the one thing that I wasn't scared of. And I told them up front, yeah, it's not my favorite horror movie. Um, so, and I've heard, you know, a lot of inside stories about it. And so I wasn't beating myself up about doing that. I definitely took it because it was taking the character and setting it in a different place. Yep. Not messing around. Like, uh, I think we run 83 minutes, um, and I'm of a certain belief sometimes a movie shouldn't be more than 90 minutes. <laughs> you know? I, I feel and, that way too, and I know my producer Connor is watching this now, and he's like, yes, that is what he always yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get the job done in that time. So, um, you know, that was our goal. I mean, we have Easter eggs, uh, the biggest Easter egg. Well, yeah, let, uh, let's talk about the Easter eggs because there okay. are many. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one in particular you had just mentioned. I don't know if it's necessarily an Easter egg or just a, an unusual um, uh, uh, coincidence. But an 83-minute runtime, I, apparently, I was reading online, is the exact same runtime as the original. Was that That's purposeful, correct. or did it just yes. land that way? No, it was purposeful. Okay. Yeah. Now, there are, there are certain things that we just, you know, I'm, here's the other big thing. The chainsaw is the original chainsaw. No way. Yeah. Um, uh, Kim, I'm not going to remember his name now, Kim Henkel, who... Wrote the first one. He directed the third one. Um, he kept the first one and never used it again. And then he gave it to us to, to use on this one. No way. Wow. And it was so temperamental being a 30-year, 40-year-old chainsaw. You know, it ran when it wanted to, and it stopped when it wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but anytime you see the blades turning, that's... That's the real thing. Wow, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And of course, you had the um, the narration at the beginning, which I think was yeah. oh, who who did John, John Larroquette? Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Again, back to do the narration at the beginning. So exactly right from the top. Are there any other Easter eggs that you guys threw in there that you know maybe yes. some that people still haven't uncovered? There are there. Uh, the town of Harlow is 19, uh, population is 1973, I think, or four, which was the year the film came out. Oh, yeah. Um, what else? I did build one bone chair. I don't think you really, there's a moment when you see it, but it it's, wasn't as a big a Easter egg as I had planned it to be. Um the post-credit oh, scene. Post-credit scene, yeah. <laughs> yes. The, Talk to us the, about that. Well, that one wasn't really planned, but once they put the movie together, they went, oh, let's 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 not cut our nose off to spite our face just in case. So they lead it to, you know, an obvious 
kind of conclusion that, yeah, he's still here. Besides, just, you know, he's been shot five times. Um, I will say that we played Leatherface as almost, not a superhero, but of that sort of indestructible. We don't know why. He's just, you know, was he 73 or something like that? He's still... He still got it. He does. <laughs> still got it. Um, well, uh, let's talk about the inspiration for the film. Clearly, like we mentioned, it is a sequel to the original. You sort of forget right. everything that happened in between. Um, so, how much are you taking from the original film? Like in your designs and the way that you create this uh, 2022 version. Right. Um, how much does the original influence that? Well, obviously you're you know you're dealing with Texas, which is hard in Bulgaria, um, but mm. we built that town. Um, oh wow! So, so the whole town was built in Bulgaria. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, that's all sets. There's there's I don't believe there's anything that's yeah everything is sets. The the gas station we built just on the side of the road, because their gas stations don't look like our gas stations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the whole street, you know, we had two, <clears throat> basically H. Uh, so we did 40 facades and uh, three with interior sets off the street. Oh, and wow. And um, the... Second floor we built on stage, the underground slicing up <laughs> when she's under the house. That was a stage. Uh, yeah. The school shooting was a stage. Um, and the bus interior was, exterior interior was built on stage, which was one of the most amazing things I've seen Um carpenters do because those are like compound angles well it's a compound Mm. angles and they built it out of mdf board it was like i don't even understand how they did it to be honest with you the craftsmanship in bulgaria is the highest i've ever worked with those towns all that brickwork that was hand carved from foam wow yeah (laughs) When they told me how I was doing it, I was like, I went to the producers. And go, I'm going, yeah, we can't. There's no way we can finish this in time to shoot. We, they did. They did. Uh, they had beautiful painters, uh, beautiful sculptors, great art department to work with. Um, I can't say. I mean, I get a uh, couple of gigs that are you know in discussion. I keep going. Well, you know, in Bulgaria. <laughs> So I'm, I'm yeah, sure it's like now they change, they rose the bar. Um, so all right, so I wanna I wanna kind of like visualize the the exterior that you're talking about here. So like mm-hmm. in Bulgaria, were you was any of that like were you was did you build the street as well, or did you kind of create facades around uh, an existing street? There no, <clears throat> there was a um a film um something like Alabama Hurricane, um, 
that had built some stuff there. So there's the main street was there and uh, all around the facades. I mean, they were extra strength. I think maybe there's two or three that we just repainted and used, but everything else we added Texas uh, fretwork with bricks because um, West Texas towns like that are very ornate, um, which has to do with Texas Architecture School in uh, the University of Texas had just started and they went to the World's Fair in um, Chicago and that influenced them to do all that weird detail work and brickwork. So, um, yeah, we carried that over. Now, I'm curious because uh, Texas has a very distinct look about it. Um, just the dusty environment, the sun angle, everything really gives it a very special special look. And I can only assume, I've never been in Bulgaria, but I can only assume that there's quite a difference in just the, the overall look of it. And yeah, you can do stuff with lighting and color grade, but were there things in the the set design that you had to do in order to give it that Texas look with that Bulgarian sun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we did. Um, well, one of the things on the interiors, there's usually some color window or some opening so that you, you know, Rick Diaz, the um, DP could throw in shafts of light, you know, so that the Texas intensity could be done through that, those lighting things. Um, I will say that the sun, like the sunflower seed, you know, sunflower scene where he drives through and those exist in Texas. There's both Texas and Bulgaria have huge sunflower farms. Um, we, you know, it, I, like the the what is it? The garage has um, <laughs> has a uh, Alamo outline. Um, there's a, a lot of Texas stars carved into the buildings and all, all that's subliminal, but it, it makes you think, I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of reviews, a lot of the negative reviews. They never mention, they just assume it was shot in Texas, which is mm. very cool for me. Um, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we were, I, I, you know, me and my team, we did a great job. And I think that they, um, Rick Diaz and, and David Garcia were very, very good at setting up. And they're both Texans. Um, so, you know, if anything rang not true, we got rid of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, how much were you inspired by the original film? Very little. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, the tones, you know, we actually played around with some different tones of, um, you know, cooler colors, um, different things. We we settled on the basic, the, the look of the sort of hot, you know, amber feeling um, stuff. But... I, I, 
I watched, I saw the movie when I was a kid. Well, I wasn't a kid, I was in college, but I saw it, you know, like in a midnight show. Um, and then I watched it once again before I left, but that's it. I didn't have, I wasn't referring back to it. I wasn't, you know, messing with it. It was like, this is our version of that story. And the, I mean, the one, the one thing we did do, we talked about this is, you know, the first one, nobody answers any questions. Nobody goes, Where, why are these kids here? Who is this? What are those? Why is this happening? You know, no, it was just, you know, done. It just happened. And yeah. That's how, yeah. yeah. So that's how we took the approach where, you know, there's a little backstory. There's a little, you know, I've read some things. Well, there wasn't much character development. No, because they were me. They were people that were going to be killed. So, yes, they didn't all have backstories, <laughs> you know. It does make me they laugh when I when I hear when I hear negative reviews of something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like, I mean, obviously, if someone just legitimately didn't like it, then whatever. But when you hear right. negative reviews about stuff like that, it's like it really. I mean, you shouldn't be comparing it to like this great, you know, award winning like movie of the year. It's not that. It's just what are you doing? It just doesn't make any it's, sense. Yeah, to I me. mean, I, 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 that's the funny. I I really enjoy the negative reviews because they're so Why? funny to me. Yeah. Well, they're just like, they they make up stuff. I, I You know what I, I didn't, just before this, I had no idea this existed, but people on YouTube sort of reviewing the trailer. Oh, yeah. And coming up, it's, and coming up with what they think the movie's about. And you just sat there and went like, no, you're, all, you're completely completely wrong it's just that's not it at all um and it's fun i i'm always tempted but i know better to just write you know now you're you're wrong on that one um but they do it so smugly right like they've got the inside track of what happened <laughs> and you're just like wow that's everybody gets their 15 minutes <laughs> i love that how long was filming on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, uh, I think we shot forty-five days. Hmm. Yeah. No, it was. It was That's pretty quick. It was a reason in yeah, total, was, like uh, stage work too. Everything was forty-five days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's about the medium. You know, uh, I just was. Uh, I did promising young woman. And we shot that in 23 days. Um, so lower budget things tend to be very short because that's where you're spending all your money. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we had a very extended prep because we were in Bulgaria for two weeks and then COVID hit. Mm. And they kicked us out of the country. Um, but Legendary was very nice enough to just keep me working here in the studio. Um, so we had a really good, you know, plan. And um, when we got back, it was, you know, in reality, I was probably on it for seven months. Mm. Um, and, you know, it it didn't seem to fly, <laughs> fly fast for me. <laughs> um, and we were shooting six days a week, which I normally just have nothing to do with. But 
in this case was fine. That that's grueling. Um, but it is. I mean, you only have so much time to get it done. So now the film is done. It's out there. People mm. are starting to react to it. Um, yeah. When you look back on it and you watch it now, is there a particular set that you think was just really fun to do, really successful? Like, what was your favorite of all of the sets? <laughs> this is going to sound stupid. The, the gas station. Well, I, I'm thought, not surprised, but tell me why. Well, you know, it's a complete build. You know, the signs, the pumps, all that stuff had to be built. And, you know, for an American, what I used to do a lot of commercials and do them in foreign countries to be America. So I kind of learned to like how to give an iconic look to something very quickly. But I know if it's not right, it takes you out of it right away. Mm -hmm. So it was getting all the right candy. I mean, that was a big pain in the ass. Um, you know, so we couldn't get anything from, from Bulgaria. It's in Bulgarian. Um, so, you know, we got all this American candy and stuff in. And it was I, it was a big push on my part with the team to understand you can't put enough shit in a country gas station. It's just full of stuff. Um, and the other far, part, fun part of that was that, you know, we have the, the video running as if the original chainsaw was a real event that's talked about. And then we have all the weird souvenirs that were for, you know, as if it was the actual event. Yeah, it's almost the the town, the town almost like has its identity based on that original massacre that happened. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that's yeah. interesting and to see that that the that the store was one of your favorites because of all the detail in it and because you're really trying to create the U.S. in another country. I mean, it, yeah. Like wh when you, I, I think I'm, my guess is that the a success for you is when somebody watches it and doesn't even think twice about it and just like, oh yeah, they were in a gas station in Texas. Like, you well, don't there, even think there's about definitely it. right. There's definitely two versions of my career. Um, one is that as if you've you do, you've done nothing. The story works. Nobody thinks about the sets, and and it just is a great. So you're invisible. Then there's the ones where you you get to show off, and it is about the scenery. So uh, you know which ones I prefer. They they there it's two different it's two different sets of projects in a way. And see how the approach is completely different. I want to take a quick moment and talk about Filmmakers Academy. Now, on Filmmakers Academy, there are tons of great courses, but I want to highlight one for you today called How to Be a Camera Assistant. We've got its trainer, Derek Edwards, on the show today to talk about uh, the course for just a moment. You're a camera assistant. You are you live and die by your tools, certainly on I set. Do. What's the most important tool in your kit and why? I'm gonna say I have two. And okay. I'm gonna give you something from the way past that we love and everyone should have is this little craftsman stubby screwdriver that's about yay big and 
every job I need this screwdriver. I don't care. It's it's vital. And in today's age, uh, my Hilti, I have to have my laser because nowadays we have to move so fast. So I just need to be able to tag something. What is it? And a laser. It's a Hilti. So it's a measuring device. About yay big. It's PDE is the model number, but it's just a laser measuring device. So I'm not running a hard tape. I'm not running a, a soft tape. I just point my laser, tag them. It gives me a little readout, gives me the distance, and I'm ready to go. It goes up to like 500 feet. So two tools. I love that. Yeah, There you go, two them. tools. And so much more information, including your entire course, is available right now on filmmakersacademy.com. So guys, check it out for yourself. You will absolutely love that one. How to be a camera assistant on filmmakersacademy.com. What was the most challenging set for you? Oh, I can tell you that easy. The... Um, <clears throat> The crawl space mm. where she's running in the sauce. Okay. So originally I wanted to build that with the floor um, on chains so we can lift it up and bring it down uh, as needed. So that got nixed. I, I think I think there were any chain things to do that with. So we built it solid. We built it as a real floor. And then underneath it, we had a box and laid the dirt in. So at four different times, four different people wanted the height of the dirt somewhat differently. Now, if I had the chains on it, I could have brought the floor further down and up as needed. But yeah. no, I was had to build that. So they'd go, no, we need to make this, the, it needs to be higher. So put more for, dirt. For what reasons? <laughs> they just, they would think it wasn't close enough. Or once I got it close enough, they didn't think it was, they, it needed to be less close. So the height of that thing changed four times and it drove me insane. Because we'd have to we'd have to reinforce the floor because there'd be twice as much dirt in it. And then we'd have there just seemed to be an ever decreasing and increasing pile of dirt by the elephant doors into the stage. Because they'd either be pulling it out or putting it in. So yeah, that was my that was my least favorite thing. Well your least favorite I, makes sense to be least favorite. Was that also technically for you like the most challenging, just having to make those modifications? Or was there a set in particular that just was particularly hard for, because you couldn't find a certain prop or you just was impossible to build based on the director's specs? What's crazy is I've been in the business for a bit. So sometimes I don't even think about sort of newer technologies, which I, I, taking a look for. So we built the high school hallway where she, you know, she had a problem. The one thing we couldn't duplicate, we couldn't find lockers like American lockers. Mm. So we made those out of wood with the slats in them, right height. 
But we had no, you know, that little door latch with the yeah. hole in it. There was none. And I had like 50 lockers in there. But there was a guy who 3D'd them for us. And, you know, they just came in with a, a bag of them. And they were perfect. And it's like, yeah, okay, I got to do that more. <coughs> that's, a, that's a good good use of technology. Was that the first time you've ever had things 3D printed, at least that you knew of? Um, I think there's been some stuff, but not, not like out of thin air, where it was actually modeled and um, done. I have learned how to do it now, you know, because um, it was a, it's a great thing, especially when you're overseas. Like when I go overseas and I do things, I always bring uh, electric outlets with me and their faces because the power systems are always completely different. Ah, so I always make sure smart. it's American outlets. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, you know, experience. Now, just between... And coffee pots are hard. Yeah. Oh, really? Coffee pots are hard? Because mm. they drink espresso from machines. Oh, yeah. So you don't think Mr. about Coffee that stuff. doesn't exist. Exactly. You don't think I, about that stuff. Well, yeah, you do. Painstaking. I do now. Man, sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But there was a time where I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of have that stuff always in the back of my head. I'm curious about um, a mistake that you made in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. I mean, like, there's... And it's just between us. We're going to keep it secret. But I love mm -hmm. to know, like, when you watch the film, is there something that you see that you're like, ah, I really could have. I should have done that. I should have did that. It's like, for instance, we interviewed the DP of the most recent Scream. And I guess there was a piece of gaff tape or black wrap or something left on a chandelier. It never ah. got removed. <laughs> he sees it. It drives him insane. It's in the trailer. It drives him insane. Is there something when you watch the film that you're like, oh, if I just had, I knew I should have done this or that. Is there one of those moments? Well, I only watch my films the one time, mm. um, and then they get packed away. But a DP has to watch it in coloring and stuff like that, so he's more attuned to it. A Fabulous Baker Boys, whenever I watch that, there's a set of curtains that they didn't seem, so there's the creases in them. And every time it shows up, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> um, on this one, let me see. I'm sure there must be. Let me think here. The, there is one thing that bothers me. Yeah, but I, there always works. is. It's like if you leave enough dead air, it, something will pop yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a there's a thing that the director asked for like the day before shooting. And I argued with him because it made no architectural sense whatsoever. And he kept going, I don't care. It's it, We need it for the, the scene. And I'm like, I, I, I always raise my, you know, like objections. The director has the final say. Um, but at the top of those stairs in the orphanage is that there's that round oculus window. Yes. Um, yes. I don't know where the fuck that 
I know it's on the other side of that. <laughs> it's a brick wall. I don't. There's, there's, you know, there's no logical sense for that window except when he stands in front of it. But it, but still bothers me that it was like, mm. yeah, architecture. Because you're, you're no thinking sense. about it through architecture and construction and design, where I guess the director was just thinking it's a cool light source and it, I, absolutely it's a cool, yeah. And, it's and it so, is a cool shot. Don't it is? You know, I always when when I'm wrong about it, I'm happy to admit it. It's uh, yeah, because it worked. It worked, and as long as nobody tries to figure out the geography, it's fine. I wanted to talk to you about. And this might be more of just a general philosophy of production design, but when you're working on a horror film, not, not, and not all horror films, but when you on this film, it's mm. short film. It moves quick. Not a ton of dialogue. No real character mm -hmm. development because you, quite frankly, don't need it. When you don't have other things informing you about the characters and what's going on, how does the production design sort of fill that role? Because a lot in this film is inferred by the production design. And I think you can probably apply that to other movies you've worked on. How much do you think yeah. about developing character, developing story, supporting story in your production designs? Oh. Uh it, I mean, that's that's the goal is to create a world that this story can exist in, um, which is, doesn't mean it has to be realistic. You know, I'm promising a woman doesn't look like anything in the real world. Um, but it's odd you're saying that because there's there came a moment where. He was, uh, Leatherface lives upstairs and there's um, a little room and he's done um, all kinds of like little drawings and and that all came from us like, what, what the hell would it be like to be Leatherface and in this room? Mm. Um, and why has he been so calm? And so, so it was like, Drawings of a child that made, that was happy. They weren't like disturbed paintings. They were happy paintings or drawings. So yeah, I have to fill in the gap sometimes. And sometimes I fill in the gap and I don't tell anybody or ask anybody what they think or what. I do try to work with actors when they first come in and go, do you feel your character needs anything specifically, you know, in a, in a room or a space? Um, and then other times it's, yeah, it's me filling in blanks, which, you know, is part of the training too, of kind of understanding that you need this or you don't need that or, yeah. So yeah, character development was super thin mm -hmm. on this. So but I it, just, it, yes, kind of, but at the same time, you do feel like, you know, these characters a little bit, or at least the personalities they represent. For instance, the choice of an electric car, um, the choice of having making right. sure everybody has cell phones and pulls them out at that at that moment during the during the bus scene. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah like yeah. you said, Leatherface's drawings. Like there are things that are unsaid that help really fill out and flesh right. out these characters. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's something I do one shape or another, form or another, um, on everything I've done. It's finding that right 
mix, I guess. Yeah, the other big thing was the bus. I picked the colors in the bus, making sure that the ceiling was mm. white. Um, like nobody ever, nobody ever talked about that. And then I did it. Why? You know, and they were like, oh, of course it, for, so that you couldn't mistake what was going to happen when it happened. <laughs> yes. The perfect canvas for blood splatter. Is the perfect, exactly. And no one went, oh, we need to do this or talked about it. I just one day went, oh yeah, we should make this white. That's what we did, and it worked great. Uh, Well, that's interesting. Like, when you are designing sets and you know that blood needs to be splattered all over the wall, I mean, in this case of the bus, certainly you did. Um, I mean, is that coming into play everywhere? Are you thinking about that in the ground and in the wall colors and all that? My my head is full of nonsense. Um, And I I have the greatest job in film because really, when I have a full crew... I basically drink coffee, draw pictures, and, uh, you know, make up shit to do. Um, you know, other people are physically doing it. You, I try to draw everyone on the team as co-designers, but they have to actually do physical work, and I just draw little pictures. I, you point. You know, Move that over there. Some of them are, do that. <laughs> I do. It, no, no, he's exactly right. It's it. it Sometimes my job is editorial. Okay, there's too much stuff on the walls. Let's take it down. It's one of my big pet thieves. You'll see stuff on movies or TV shows, especially TV shows. There's about 40% more pictures on the walls than you would ever see in real life. But they're always afraid that there's going to be a blank space behind the person. And I'm like, yeah, but there are blank spaces behind people. And that says something much more interesting than another prop house painting with two ornate frame. Yeah. A a lot of aging was done on these sets. Um, And I'd love to just talk to you about the techniques for aging props and aging your sets. What do you do? Well, and, and this one especially, let's, I mean, let's just talk about like the front hallway of the orphanage. All those doors were handmade. Mm. All that, like nothing, nobody went down to the store and bought the railings. That was all hand done, the stairs. Everything was hand wow. done. Um, so right away, you're, you, you're looking at basically... Um, Unfinished wood. It's not necessarily what you want color-wise. So first you find the stain that you you pick. Then, so what the best way I know of is to start basically doing it as real as possible and then go into the distressing from there. So then you go and you add chemicals to make... uh, stuff start to peel um, using hot guns. Um, Then I come in and um, in this one, I wanted what we call, we don't use it in the uh, anymore, but we definitely use it in the old days with bars. And it's, um, it's like a light tobacco stain, but it's done as a, almost a, a fog 
So it falls into crevices. Ah. It builds up in corners. It does that. Then you, from there, then we went to, we use some wallpaper so we can rip, like bubble it off. Um, we put in a few leaks, you know, painted those in. Um, what is that? Oh, oh, le le like water leaks. I, I see what you mean. Okay. Water yep. leaks. Yep. So they paint those in, into the corners. Um, and you just sort of, you just keep doing it till you say stop. Yeah. You know, because they'll come in like on those doors, you'll see um, not fresh wood, but we chipped and hit it with chains and um, and then any of the white spots that came through, we just did them as a, a lighter version of the over. That The painters there were fantastic. They were all trained from um, Italian scene painters that worked at Cinecicca. Oh, wow. Um, and they were just, it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful thing to watch, the speed and... It sounds yeah. like you got some real craftsmanship. Like you said earlier, you know, creating the um, the bricks out of the foam, hand hand doing it, not doing it in a cast. Like, sounds like it would take forever. It yeah. almost sounds like, why? <laughs> but at the same time, you get a really perfect result. But here's, well, that's right. Um, I On one building, I came in in the morning they were just putting up sheets of white foam. I came at lunch. It had all been carved out, and they were putting the plaster on. Oh, my on. God. When I left that night, they'd put the first coat of paint Unbelievable. on. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of guys. If you look at that credits and you look at the painters and the sculptors, uh, a lot of people. But. I don't know that I could find that craftsman here. Huh. I mean, I don't. I certainly couldn't do it anywhere for the price, and I certainly couldn't do it speed-wise. Um, but they were. Ex, ex, I mean, they're the best craftsmen I've worked with it, anywhere, and, and I've worked at a lot of. It, in that's the interesting because you you always think about people making choices of where to film based on tax credit and things like that. You don't necessarily think of it based mm -hmm. on the craftsmanship for the production design. I think that this might be the first that we've even discussed that, but that's such an integral part is the speed, the amount of people, the craftsmanship. Yeah. Otherwise it just can't get done. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd be still building if I was doing it in Hollywood. Wow. Um, and then it'd take me a couple of weeks more if I did it in Atlanta. Wow. I want to wrap up our conversation with probably the most sure. impactful scene, the one everyone is talking about. It hits you like a hammer at the end of the film in the last couple of seconds, but it's when Melody gets completely decapitated by Leatherface. It comes out of nowhere. I mean, I guess you might be expecting some little twist at the end, but I don't think anybody was expecting this. And it, it was just... It looked so good. And it was that moment where you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like you just weren't expecting it. I'd love to first get your reaction from that when you see it on the page. What's your initial thought? And then also, mm -hmm. how did you execute that? Well, the, the big, uh, you know, the, the reason for it is there can only be one final girl. There you go. That's there you the go. Trope. You're right. That's the trope. 
you you sit and you think they're both going to get away, and it's, no, that's not going to happen. This is Leatherface. This is, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, so we had an amazing. Uh, Alta Vista was the company that was doing all the sculpting, and you know her head was sculpted early on, so we got used to it that it was around and the um, <laughs> doing it. I will tell you that that was shot just before it was getting dark, so I don't think we had more than three takes wow. of that. Um. And it's funny, I was on set that day, which I'm not a lot of. Um, I was on the set that day and like shot it on my iPhone while it was happening. And the only real difference is she's laying there with a green hood, you know, but that head. It's awesome. Oh, I would um, love to see that yeah. iPhone video. That is some behind the scenes well, gold. Real top. Yes, we'd love to see yeah. that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then he does his dance. Yep. You know, we got one take of the dance. That's the amazing. To me, that's always that. amazing that that it just works like that. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, what what a great scene. When you see that on the paper and you're reading the script, what was your initial thought? Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> shit. I mean, there's a lot of those. I mean, you read it and you're like, because you're trying, you know, <clears throat> for a production designer. You're signing on in the middle of the process. So you have no idea what the conversations were in the writing room, the you know, production going through it or whatever. So you have to feel like you have an attachment to do a project. Because it's, you know, it's painful. Um, so when you're reading it, you're, you're like, it's... Uh, do I go any further um, with meetings with people? Is this too weird? Is this, you know, because I've done a lot of horror. I don't, I never think of doing a horror movie as a horror movie. And it's not even a genre I enjoy. Um, so I, I approach it as a film. There, I approach all of my movies exactly the same way. Um, so I honestly basically decided to do that movie because really of the end yeah so that because i was reading it and it's like oh if they're gonna get away it's like oh final okay great <laughs> so i went you know it hits enough things it's you know obviously building a thing in texas a, a texas town in bulgaria was very um yeah attractive but in the back of my head, it's like, dude, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And no matter what, you're always going to be associated with it. You know? Yeah. Why not? Exactly. I love that. Yeah. And now now you got me started on one other topic before we head out. And I hope you have a few other a few extra okay. minutes. But sure. this idea of horror Absolutely. tropes, you know, I almost feel like I almost feel bad saying that word because it it sounds it sounds like disrespectful in a way, but it's really not. I mean, the, there are things that just happen in horror movies that you want to happen and they're satisfying. And when they're when they're not done, you miss it. And when they're done well, you celebrate it. And I feel like The Final Girl is one. 
But then you also have that, like, the last gas station. It's like the, the last bit of normalcy before you head into your eventual demise. You have, right. you know, there, there's right. a few in this film. You have that, the gas station. You have the last girl, like you mentioned. You also have the um, the, the hiding in the closet, you know, uh, a la Halloween, the original right. one. Um, under the bed, hiding right. under the bed. There are things that you've seen before, but for some reason— they're still entertaining. They still give you some surprises. And I think that's a true testament to the, you know, to the work that you guys put into that. Yeah, it's it's a kind of, it, it is funny. Uh, you know, um, I find most horror that I'm attracted to and do is like mm. It Follows, where we're not doing any of the tropes. We're breaking in new things. We're, you know we're almost throwing it, you know, there's no yeah. claustrophobia there, you know. So that's, you know, that that's something I I find. And I also find that horror movies is, are like the 40s and 50s film noir, where you can introduce subjects that normal films won't tackle. You know, so, uh, you know, there's... I've got a, a script right now, which is beautiful, <coughs> but it's about systemic racism, but it's built around a horror movie story that's very strong. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, outside of like commenting on, you know, Millennial, and maybe a touch um, of gun violence. It's it's not it's not a commentary. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's it's well, definitely not. Uh, I don't think it's I'll taking you, a stance by I'll any means, but there's there's things in there. No, 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 no. I will, I will, I'll give you a piece of, you know, I may not get the next movie because of it, but I'll give you a piece of um, information that explains a couple of things that people are confused about. So, the point of her having that, being a survivor... Um, and originally she was paralyzed in a mm. wheelchair. So that's the other, you know, callback. Um, but she was a survivor and she didn't know exactly what that meant for her. The um, Hardesty did not come to kill um, Leatherface. But she wanted to be be killed by Leatherface so that she could be back with her friends because of her mm. survival guilt. Now that changed, but that's what tied the two together is the same common thing of surviving wow. a massacre. That was a little too deep. For yeah, us. that's hard to do with you know, so little dialogue and just a quick paced movie. That's, that's a lot to, ha yeah. to carry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there was just a line of like, you know, we use it where, you know, say my name, you know, remember, and it's, and it's like, he doesn't know who she is. It was nothing to him, you know, and to carry all of that your whole life and you just find out you're an afterthought. It's yeah. Pretty devastating. Oh, that yeah. that is that is interesting. Why do you think that's going to prevent you from your next film? <laughs> Just giving away trade secrets? 
because I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about it. Yeah, I'm talking about an early uh, version well, of the script. Well, we're going to just um, keep it among us. Everyone here is professionals. We know we know yeah, what to do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I do. I so some of the you know. There's been things like, why did you bring back her and you didn't give her much to do, you know, and is she like, you know, in Halloween? And it's like, no, 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 and no. You know, that's that's not why she was brought back. It was to connect the passing mm. of the generation, the survivor of one massacre to the next massacre. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed the film. It is, it's a fun slasher film. Like everybody just relax. Don't get so serious about it. It's just a fun movie to watch. <laughs> and, um, and you know, and, exactly. and yeah, there certainly is negative comments. There always is going to be, but I think overwhelming, I think overwhelmingly oh, people are enjoying it. When you go to resources that celebrate this type of film, it's, it's being celebrated. People, people are enjoying it and it's just a fun, yeah. it's a fun watch and it's 83 minutes. I mean, come on. Um, but it yeah. was awesome. It's available exactly. on Netflix now, of course. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just that's it. Um, but it's the 2022 version, obviously. And really enjoyed talking with you, Michael. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for your honesty and your insight. And we'd love to have you back. Anytime. All right, a huge, huge thank you to Michael Perry, production designer of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show and talking to us all today. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Filmmakers Academy, Master Your Craft at Filmmakers Academy. Uh, head over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash Filmmakers Academy and get 10% off your purchase with promo code GOCREATIVE10. I also want to thank Connor Crosby from Ignition Visuals for producing our show, as well as Dave Siegel from Siegel Sound for mixing and mastering and making it sound so good. Of course, encourage you all to follow us on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can not only hear the episode, but see the episode. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm available on Instagram. It's probably the best place to find me. At Ben Consoli, at Ben Consoli. I post a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and, of course, things that I'm working on with my own company, BC Media Productions. Thank you guys for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.